Welcome to the Investing Evolution Podcast with Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz from SunGarden Investment Research. We are an investment firm that takes an alternative approach to the most common investor objectives, preservation, income, and long-term growth. We focus on bottom line outcomes, not what everyone else is doing. In this podcast, we clarify confusing investor issues, bust investment myths, and discuss how to invest in any investment climate. Our number one goal is to help you think about investing in a different way, a more straightforward way, without all the fluff and sales tactics of the Wall Street culture. Listen in as we share stories and insights on how to offer a truly unique approach to investing. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another Investing Evolution podcast. Today, we have both of the brains, the big, huge, juicy brains in Sardin Garden Investments. We have Rob Isbitz and Vince Esposito. Now, so here's what's going on. We're going to talk about best thinking. One of the things about the investing evolution and what SunGarden has created is really a new way to look at things. And so today we're going to distill that. We're going to start breaking different pieces of how they have come about with this true evolution of investing. So, uh, Vince, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Uh, tell us, sure. how did this come about? Where did this best thinking come from? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, so really, the best thinking is a culmination of 50 some odd years of experience between Rob and myself. And back before we got together here at Sun Garden, we were we were kind of running on our two you know separate little tracks. And, and what happened when we met each other is that we realized we were doing a lot of things in a very similar way. And our thinking about risk and about investments and about what's important to, to focus on as an investment advisor, uh, there, was, there was a lot of really nice overlap there. So uh, it's really come about by taking Rob's big brain and, and merging it with my pea brain. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm sorry. I was taken aback by that a little bit there. Because uh, maybe I wasn't. <laughs> That's no yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, Rob Isbitt's totally silent on that entirely, but uh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, why do I care? Why Why does that matter to me as an investor? You know, Matt, I, I think it should matter to you because things are changing so quickly these days. I mean, in this environment, things move so fast. And if you don't have folks who are willing to evolve with changing markets, managing your nest egg, I think you can get into some trouble. If I may, uh, because I want to make sure we have at least one sports analogy, you know, baseball analogy, especially. So they always say when you're pitching, don't get beat with your second best pitch. So to me, I think we need to cut out a lot of the clutter. This is a, on the inside, this is a potentially very complex business. And on the outside, it is also because you're dealing with people's individual experiences and we're not a one size fits all approach. And so you, you have to figure out what is your best foot forward and be a straightforward communicator about it. And at the same time, on the inside, you have to be systematic and disciplined and on the outside, uh, you need to be able to explain it uh, to people as, uh, as Vince does so well uh, and understand that uh, markets, just like life, 
are very much a balance and uh, always stay balanced because uh, there is a lot of things out there passing for best thinking uh, when in fact it's really just kind of mass customized advice. And I think that's why I wanted to do this podcast and pick your guys' brains about this because there's so much noise out there. And even if it's if it's noise that still has some good information, it's so hard to filter through that noise. Um, and, and I know we're, we're going to dive into that in later podcasts, but Vince, you had said that that this is a distillation of, of many, many, many years of thinking. And, and Rob, sure. I love the baseball analogy, but let's break this apart and really start getting underneath you know, the hood right now. What makes this thinking different? What, what are you guys truly bringing that's so unique and different to the marketplace? That's a good question, Matt. And Rob, you said something earlier, um, balanced. But there's different ways of thinking of that word, right? And, and traditionally, if you were to say balance to someone who's even uh, remotely familiar with investing, they would probably think of a portfolio that has some some stocks and some bonds and some real estate and, and some cash and maybe a few other things. Part of what makes us different, Matt, to, to answer your question is we don't, we don't think that way at all. To us, balance means a different thing. And, and as our chief investment strategist, I'll let Rob touch a little bit on, uh, on what, what our view is of a portfolio that is, that is balanced. Sure. Most people in most financial advisors, I think, when they hear balance, they instantly think stocks and bonds. And to us, it has a lot more to do with what each part of the investment portfolio is 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 designed to do. So there's a portion of it where you're going to judge its results over a shorter period of time. And we would call that a tactical part of a portfolio. If you need income from the portfolio, that's something that you don't say, well, uh, uh, I really need the income now, but I'll give you three years before you provide any. You know, that obviously doesn't work. So this is really about being able to balance what Look, everybody would like to make uh, make a lot of money with no risk and uh, and make a lot of uh, cash flow income if, if that's part of their objective also. It's but you have to try to figure out in the case of each investor or in my case, in each uh, investment strategy that we run, what is the balance between the short term goals and the long term goals of the strategy uh, between trying to hit a home run and just trying to get on base. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's important, Rob. And I, I think what's also important is being cognizant of the environment that you're in. So when I started in this business back in the 90, early 90s, it was, you know, you had to have an allocation to all these different asset classes because just that's what you had to do, right? That that you had to have exposure to high yield bonds and you had to have exposure to uh, overseas markets and Europe. And it's just the way people built portfolios. The, the way we look at the world is, is quite different from that. And, and I think it's all part of our, our, our thinking being much, much different from your traditional asset allocator. And, and I, and I guess if you add it up, you know, we, both follow our industry extremely closely. We stay on the leading edge of any of the changes that would impact our uh, our investors. And 
we're very proactive at trying to get better at we what we do and also trying to nudge clients toward really what their their best financial and emotional life would be. And so how that manifests itself in the portfolio is an unwavering commitment, first of all, to say no matter who you are as an investor, you want to avoid big losses. We call it ABL, avoid the big loss. For sure. But for every investor, it's different. Uh, we want to be very flexible in the approach and we want to be adaptive to the way markets change. I'll give you one uh, example. So when I started in the business in uh, the 1980s, there were so many things that weren't as commonplace as that are now that impact markets. There was no such thing as an ETF, exchange traded fund. Uh, hedge funds, which are a big part of the market and the daily trading activity now, were, were really for the, the uber wealthy and that's it. Uh, high frequency trading. So many things that move prices of securities, which ultimately is what delivers the value in a portfolio, right? So the whole idea of long-term investing has changed. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a long-term investor. You should. But the approach, the tools, the tactics that one uses, uh, it, it, I guess I would really think of it as uh, be a long-term investor, but understand that the long-term is made up of a period of much shorter-term periods. And uh, markets are cyclical in a way and man managed around, or I should say moved around in a way that most investors are maybe not aware of. We are aware, and that is how we continue to adapt. And frankly, adapting at a more rapid pace as the years go on, because it's what is uh, uh, is what is required. I, and I guess I would I would say, look, you know, we're we're pretty casual people. Hopefully, that starts to come through on this uh, uh, podcast series. Uh, but we're very serious about our business, uh, and we know that a big part of what we do is being investment translators. And so we have to think up this best thinking, what is our best thinking? How does it change uh, as time goes on? And, uh, and, then, and then translate it uh, first among ourselves and, and then for the clients. It's, uh, it's an inside and outside combination, which uh, I think is why Vince and I are both on this call. I love that you brought up the the baseball analogies, uh, you know, of, of singles and doubles, because if anybody uh, is as much of a baseball geek as Rob is, uh, you've probably seen the movie Moneyball. And the, the reason why that works is because we know that consistently hitting singles and doubles instead of swinging for the fences every time, which seems to me to be what a lot of investors do. And before we get to uh, some of the other questions, I want to touch on that investor emotion thing, because... It, it, you know, just the high frequency training, the hedge funds, the low cost, no cost, you know, products that are out there. There's like this crazy race to the bottom and people don't understand the value of this kind of thinking. How do you handle the investor emotions and what have you seen with the cycle of investor emotions that usually make people make the wrong decisions? Yeah, it, it's interesting, Matt. One thing about investing that I've learned over the years is that it's really difficult to make smart investment decisions based on how you feel, right? A lot of people talk about 
going with their gut for certain things. And I think that makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. But when it comes to investing, I think smart decisions are usually counterintuitive. And I'll give you an example. In 2008, when everything was just absolutely blowing up, right? Things were really, really bad. The market was down a lot. It really felt awful. And I don't think anyone felt like, wow, this is a great time to invest in stocks. However, if you had a, a system to follow, a process to follow that helped you take the emotions out of investing, I think what you what you might have realized is that that was a a pretty good time if you if you had money to put to work that was probably one of the best times in our lifetime to put money to work in stocks and and another quick story just the opposite is true right so I'll I'll use gold as an example we uh, you know gold gold was on a tear uh, I don't know if it was about what four years ago maybe five years ago Rob and. As I'm driving down the highway, I see every billboard, every other billboard was invest your money in gold, buy a gold IRA, gold gold is safe, gold is this, people talking about it at, at parties and yep. at shop and whatnot. And it, it was probably one of the worst times to buy gold. Yet I had more people at that time ask me what I thought about it. Should they buy it? Because it was going up. And it was popular and it was what everyone was talking about. And usually when that happens, it's too late. One of my favorite Wall Street expressions, guys, what everyone knows is not worth knowing. Yep. It's a good one. And I guess the way I figure it, speaking, I guess, from the investment side, but it really does transcend into the investment planning side or investment advisory side, which Vince leads here. If you can be prepared for snow, rain, or a day at the beach, 90 degrees, then why wouldn't you want to be? Because investing, markets, life, they do throw a variety of weather conditions at you. And sometimes the weather changes a little bit faster than you think it's going to. And uh, you can't necessarily do that realistically, I guess, uh, unless you have a, a, a car with a really big trunk. Uh, and, and look, I mean, here we are, uh, you know, toward the end of the hurricane season in in South Florida here. And, uh, you know, those those can happen also. So to be prepared for any weather, it does mean that maybe you're not going to have as sexy a return as your neighbor when things are going really well. But you know, Vince, I think, said it beautifully. You know, there, there are, uh, whether it was gold or, or many other things in the past, they draw people in. Um, I, I think it's the idea that, and Matt, you may actually be able to comment on this more than us with your, with your educational background, that uh, people emotionally like to do uh, what, what they call safety in numbers, strength in numbers. Uh, you know, they they want to have, they, they want to know that they're doing something popular. And the toughest thing to do as an investor is something that isn't currently popular. And it's one of the things that gets us going because we're looking beyond what's going to happen today, tomorrow, next month. 
Yeah, Rob, you just uh, identified two major psychological and philosophical principles of herd mentality and the principle of likeness, uh, that people like to do what other people do. But in, in my understanding, uh, you know, when everybody starts purchasing something, the price uh, seems in the stock market to inflate. And that goes against the principle of investing, which is to buy low and sell high. But OK, uh, I, I'm really oversimplifying there. Um, I would like for you to to wax philosophical. Now, this is where we can start getting a little deeper. I think you both have done a great job of setting the stage here. Let's talk about the evolution. Let's talk about what you do, how you do it, and why it's important. I'll start in, and I think I'll let Rob uh, dive into some of the details. But basically, the you're talking about how we run money, Matt. You want the basic overview of how we how we run our portfolios? That absolutely yes. I think this is a great time to do that. Cool. Yeah. Great. So what we do in, in most of our portfolios, which is, again, different from your traditional asset allocation type of a model, which buys all different asset classes in, in, in hopes of having some of them go up and others balance it out over time. And look, it, you can't argue that it's worked well in the past. Unfortunately, you don't, you don't get those past performance numbers, right? I'm sure you've seen it all over the place. Past performance is not indicative of future results. And it, it, and it's true. Past performance numbers are not the ones you get. You get the future performance. And we think to, to, to do things uh, moving forward, you're going to have to think differently. So our portfolios are, are run in, in such a way it's called long, short. And basically, uh, it was it's modeled after really the first hedge fund back going, in, going way back, right? Going back to the forties. Yep, nineteen forties. Yeah. So back then, uh, a hedge fund was truly something that actually managed risk and did things uh, much differently than than the majority of today's hedge funds. And I won't get in get on my soapbox about uh, the, the way hedge funds run their money because there's some really, really good ones and there's some, a lot of really bad ones. <laughs> but um, so that's how we balance our portfolio. We own things that we like. For the most part, we're equity guys. We like to own good quality stocks. We like dividends. We like companies that have solid balance sheets and businesses that we want to be part of for the long haul. But then on the other side, on the, to, to balance that out, we're doing things in the portfolio that are designed to actually go up when the market goes down. And that puts us in a position where we know for sure that there's some things in the portfolio that if the market goes down a lot, we're going we're gonna to do well on those positions, which is much, much different than, say, allocating a big chunk of your assets to bonds, corporate bonds, high yield, whatever, in in hopes that they'll continue to act the way they have over the last 30 years, which is they have they have been a good balance for a portfolio over the last 30 years. But I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward. As a company, we don't think that's going to be the case moving forward. So you have to figure out a different way to do that. There are so many static approaches to investing that exist. And unfortunately, they become the mainstream. Now, I think I heard one time that it takes about 18 years for something to go from the initial idea to the point where it's out in the mainstream and everybody thinks it's the only way to do it. So 60-40 portfolios, modern portfolio theory, 
uh, asset allocation by owning 15 different uh, asset classes. Problem is that when markets get rough, they tend to all move together, except for investments that by their design go up when the market goes down. And you know, Vince is right. We are we're equity people. We prefer the stock market. And that is for two reasons, uh, at least. Uh, the, the, the thing about equities is they're very liquid. The stock market's open you know, 9.30 to 4 o'clock, five days a week. And at least you know during those hours that the prices you're going to get for what you own are pretty easy to figure out. The bond market is a bit more esoteric and uh, still hasn't really adapted the way the stock market has. Uh, you, you can't really just go and, and easily say, oh, okay, I want to buy bonds you know, here and there. You can do it with bond ETFs, but that's a whole other animal. So we, we like things that are as straightforward as possible. We find the equity market to be more straightforward than the bond market. But the equity market is no good unless, you know, by, by itself, unless you can hedge what you're doing. Uh, I like to say that we put the hedge back in hedge funds when a lot of the folks that run hedge funds now turn into these sort of uh, open investment pools and it's more of a compensation scheme than anything else. Yeah. So uh, you know, that's that's why we like the equity market. It's you, the, the income, you can target in a, a certain amount of income and you can go know exactly where you're gonna go and get it. And really what underlies all this is uh, we don't want to be static. And even for our most aggressive client, we still consider ourselves to be risk managers first. And managing risk is something that you need liquidity, uh, you need flexibility. And uh, you know, I, I, think, I think that's, that's really uh, what the difference is with us. We we don't just know what we're doing, but we know exactly why we're doing it. And we're not just slapping it together based on some model that was created three or four steps away from us. We're managing it ourselves. And, and that also means that we can customize things to the level of any individual client that requires customization. Yeah, that's a great point, Rob. Uh, I, I mean, I think so many so many firms these days are, are doing just these cookie cutter model portfolios that they pull off of, uh, you know, off of different software and different websites. And, and just, charging for it appropriately. Yeah. Which yeah. is charging very little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, we take a totally different approach. I mean, I, I love the fact that we have some really smart young folks on our research team that, that help us, you know, really do a lot of the heavy lifting on the back end of what we do. One thing I want to touch on it that I think is it, people might find interesting is um, the way we arrive at our list of available companies to put in our portfolios. And, and I'll, I'll oversimplify a little bit, but if I may, um, we have about a hundred companies that we that that we like right rob from a fundamental standpoint yes there's any, about any more yeah any any more than a hundred and it's difficult to really know them as well as we want to uh, know them and, and that that sort of sets the universe from which we can do uh, some pretty intensive price analysis and, and and figure out what the best mix is at any point in time 
Yep. Yep. And, and the way we arrive at that, that, that first, that, that original list is, you know, we do our fundamental analysis. We look, we look at the cash flows and the balance sheets and the, and the price to earnings and, and dividend coverage ratio on our dividend paying equities and, and all that important stuff. And, and on top of that, like I said earlier, we want to be in companies that are in businesses that we like, that we, that we can get on board with for, for, for the long haul if need be. But what I think also is, is, is super cool and interesting about what we do. And it's, it's really your baby, Rob. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I love it too. And I've been doing it for a long time, but it's something that your dad taught you back when you were a kid. Right. And that's technical analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe that ultimately everything that happens in the markets uh, is just comes down to supply and demand. Uh, how badly people want to buy something versus how badly they want to sell it. And uh, chart patterns, I mean, price charting has been around for a long, long time. Uh, my dad used to uh, do it on graph paper. I cool. do, do it with, uh, with analytical software and, uh, that I can carry around on my, uh, my iPad or, uh, or look at it on my phone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, price analysis, price patterns, because at the end of the day, the the only thing that I think our investors really care about is how how did I do, and not how did I do last week or last month or even this year. Uh, you know, we will bend and not break in portfolios, uh, and over a multi-year period of time, we we expect to get the job done. And uh, a lot of that, uh, the the uh, the charting work that uh, that I've been doing for thirty eight years. Uh, it that's really where the risk management comes from when you think about it, uh, because it's not about, oh, what's hot, let's buy it. It's about looking at the balance between what is the reward potential from any decision we might make inside a portfolio and what is the risk of major loss. And anytime you can put those two against each other and come out with something where you say, you know, I think there's a two out of three, three out of four, four out of five chance that I'm going to make a reasonable return over the time frame I want to hold this versus I'm going to lose 10% or, or more. Uh, when, when you have that kind of balance heavily in favor of reward versus risk of a significant loss, uh, that moves to the top of the priority list in terms of what to own. And obviously, we have to look at the whole portfolio at any time. Uh, it is a it's an active looking process, even if it's not always an active process of making a lot of changes. Uh, and again, like I said, uh, I think toward the, the beginning of this uh, cast, one of the things that I think investors don't yet understand, but we're sure as heck going to help them to understand on future episodes of this podcast is the difference between uh, long term decisions that are made in a portfolio and tactical decisions that are made in a portfolio. And uh, because the the markets of today do not give you the chance to kind of hang in there quite as much. It's not an all or nothing proposition, but I would say Vince, uh, very much at the margin, uh, the, the tactical work that we're doing out of necessity has increased relative to the long-term work, but the goals don't change. The goals are still long-term. But volatility in the markets is what makes the tactical part 
the risk management part, I said should say the shorter term risk management part, uh, that much more uh, important. And, and we had a reminder of that uh, earlier in 2018 and, and again in October. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, you could you could just buy things and let them and let them hang out there if you if you want to be that type of a, an investor. It's just not our it's just not our style. Right. Avoiding the big loss is is super important to us and super important to our investors. So the tactical work becomes all that more important. And because of what we've seen, Rob, right? I mean, you seeing the whole 87 thing and then, and then you know, kind of making your way through everything else that I'll talk about that I've seen, which is the dot-com bubble and 9-11 and 2008 and, and, and you know, all sorts of different things that, that went on there. Losses are far more detrimental to your portfolio over the long haul than gains are helpful. And what I mean by that is if you lose 30% in a market downturn, you have to make 46% just to get back to even. And to us, that's unacceptable. So I think what you're saying is, I'm being facetious because we've <laughs> talked about this plenty of times, but I think what you're saying, Vince, is that if I lose a lot of money, first it hits me financially, but then the more I think about it, it starts to hit me emotionally too. And I don't, I, I don't want to leave my house because someone might either ask me about my portfolio or talk to me about my portfolio. Remember, uh, I mean, we have both lived through a few episodes uh, of uh, hearing stories about people saying, "Well, I don't open my monthly statement anymore." Back when you couldn't yeah. get it online, I don't, I don't open my monthly statement because I don't want to see what the value is. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it leads people to make really bad decisions. And that's exactly what we are not about. We want to get away from that. <laughs> so closing thoughts, guys, on the best thinking distillation. You guys did a miraculous job today of kind of showing us beginning under the hood and giving us a preview of what we're going to be talking about in later podcasts. But uh, Rob, let's start with you. What are your closing thoughts for today's podcast? Uh, I think that investing as we know it has changed. And... I think people need to look beyond the obvious and uh, beyond the standard and beyond uh, what the herd and uh, you know their their uh, friends are doing, and uh, look for something that is not only unique but makes sense when you get to know it. Vince, good point, Rob. So I, I'd like to encourage people to just take a step back and think about how cycles work. When they're when they're thinking about you know either putting their own money to work or hiring an advisor to help them do that, and it it happens the same way every time. It does it. It's not perfect, but it certainly rhymes. And when things get to the point like like we talked about in the beginning, when everybody's doing it, and when it seems so easy, that's usually the time that you should take a step back and think about doing the opposite of what other folks are doing. And, and I, you know, I use it as just kind of one data point that I look at as a general rule to see what other folks are doing and talking about as a contrarian indicator. And, and I have to say, over the course of my career, there's a lot of you know, super fancy technical things that we like to watch. But to me, that one data point, is, it's just so simple. And I, and I find it really, really helpful. So don't follow the crowd. Got it. 
Well, guys, thank you very, very much for your thoughts today. We got lots of super fun podcasts that we're going to be talking about uh, twice a month here. And if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time Rob and or Vince comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. For everybody at SunGarden and the Investing Evolution, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Investing Evolution podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are investment advisor representatives with Dynamic Wealth Advisors, DBA SunGarden Investment Research. All investment advisory services are offered through Dynamic Wealth Advisors. The material in this podcast has been distributed for informational purposes only. The material contained in this podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell any security or offer any investment advice. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without expressed written permission. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are also the sub-advisors of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund carefully before investing. This and other important information is contained within the fund's prospectus, which may be obtained by contacting your financial advisor or by calling toll-free 800-442-4358. Please read prospectus materials carefully before investing.